Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. Given the enormous amount of money we spend on healthcare, it would be reasonable to expect that this contributes the most to our overall health. But as you will hear, studies have been shown that the healthcare system contributes about 20% to our overall health and well-being. The remainder comes from our genetic and family makeup. How much do your genes and family history contribute to your health? It is true that our genetic makeup and our family contribute to the health and wellness, but there are other factors that are critical to your health and importantly can be impacted to bring about positive change. Your destination is not predetermined by your genes. These other areas include your physical environment, health behaviors, and socioeconomic factors that go up to make your social determinants of health or SDOH. The concept of SDOH can be traced back to the 19th century during the Industrial Revolution when society saw an increase in disease and poverty and the scientific community began to explore the root cause of disease beyond their search for medicine and scientific explanations. Rudolf Virchow, a German physician, wrote back in 1840 during the typhoid epidemic, if medicine is to fulfill her great task, then she must enter the political and social life. Do we not always find the disease of the populace traceable to the defects in society? The concepts of public health developed over time and social medicine began to emerge after the Second World War. And whilst the spirit of the concept has been incorporated into medicine, many programs and concepts have remained stalled and struggled to attain success. While not strictly medical, SDOH has a profound and disproportionate impact on people's well-being and health. Given that, why do we not see more success of programs designed to address SDOH in our communities and widespread adoption? Join me on Healthcare Upside Down as I talk with Ronnie Oostreicher and Salem Hawapme. Ronnie is a health systems transformation leader and a Principal Technology Transformation Lead at C-Suite 3 LLC. She was previously the Enterprise Director at Bon Secours Mercy Health System for the Ambulatory Post-Acute and Population Health Systems. Salem is a Manager in Ambulatory Services at ECG Management Consulting and has a special focus on improving health equity, including using social determinants of health as a means to bridge gaps in care. Hi, Salem. Hi, Ronnie. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having us. So your genes make you fat. 
Is that true or are we uh, misrepresenting the contribution of the genes to our overall health? I think the, the, the statement of uh, do your genes make you fat uh, does not take into account the fact that uh, any of the outcomes of our healthcare are the product of our environment. Uh, the way I like to think about it is when you went to school, the teachers you like the most and the teachers that impacted you the most are the ones who paid attention to you as a singular student as part of a classroom. And without looking at the student by student, uh, um, uh, what's going on in their lives, you wouldn't be able to impact their outcomes. Same thing with healthcare. When you're working with, with your provider team, you wanna be seen as an individual patient, looking at all the things that uh, are inputs in your life that could lead into healthy outcomes. So do your genes make you fat? I say, no, I think it's your environment that does that. One of the most um, fascinating studies that I, I've seen on this topic is how much of our healthcare is influenced by factors other than healthcare services, so healthcare um, access or quality. Um, typically, that's just 20% of our healthcare outcomes. Socioeconomic factors, physical environment, health behaviors, and genetics account for about 80%. And that's pretty shocking, I think, when you look at only 20% is you know, what we do in, in healthcare. So if that's the case, and we're focusing on that 20% that you talk about, Ronnie, what does that mean for the healthcare system? Are they spending enough energy or resources on this? And if they're not, what should they be doing? That's the, the big question of the day. Um, I think um, most healthcare organizations do really care about their patients and their community. But asking them to step out of the zone of what they're used to doing is always something that, that takes time and structure and a certain comfort level. So I think there are um, ways that they can do this. And there are many examples. If you look at the literature, there are many examples of healthcare organizations that have done work in areas of housing instability and nutrition and transportation and other areas that have shown to really impact communities. So many are doing it, but I think we'd be better off if more and more were doing it. Salem, what do you think healthcare systems should view as SDOH? What does that constitute and, and how do they get involved in this? Yeah, um, to me, SDOH are, are the factors of the social environment that really uh, contribute to our outcomes. And the way they should see it is really, it, it's, it's preventative care. When we're talking about more upstream healthcare, um, it's doing the well visits, but it's also asking the patients about the things in their lives that make up the, the, the to total patient that they are. And so um, it, I could see it as kind of connecting two points with one another. Uh, point A, ask the question and get the answer to what those fa social factors are. Um, and point B is the resources that can, they can connect them with. Um, back to this uh, classroom example, um, when you find out a, a student needs a little bit extra help, you might offer after-school assistance or you might offer other kind of assistance. We already have either internal resources in the organization or community-based ones or federal-based ones that they can connect them with. And it's just connecting points A with point B and take it from there. But if you think about that from a healthcare perspective, aren't they already doing that? We have an annual visit, right? I mean, I, if, if I was 
looking at the background, I've already got information about my patients. I'm working on SDOH. I think it, 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 a lot of well visits will capture parts of the social environment. So um, my recent well visit, I recall being asked um, if, if I, how often I drink, um, if I smoke. So those do take into account some of the behavioral items, but uh, it needs to be expanded to include more of, of the built environment. Uh, do I have the re reliable transportation? Can I pick up the medication that's about to be prescribed to me? And um, have I miss been missing my last few appointments because of um, because of reasons that are you know not within my control? Uh, those questions need to be part of the complete or comprehensive questionnaires. And when we're asked those questions, have resources that can get me to to uh, alleviate those those limitations, so I can make my next appointment and adhere to my care plan without having limitations are based on my environment. I think one of the problems is there's no um, consistent, consistency yet in the um, way we collect the data and what data we collect. I think that's a known problem. Uh, and there are certainly organizations out there who are attempting to establish those standards. So I think that will be a positive development when there are standard questions that all can ask based on fact and evidence. So that's still to come. But in the meantime, there are resources out there that you can go to and say, you know, what questions should I be asking? I think every healthcare organization should be making sure that even if they're not consistent, they ask some of the best questions that are, that are out there. And, and again, um, pretty easy to find if you look for them. So what you're not suggesting is that this is a, an additional data collection, or maybe it is. I mean, maybe there's some additional components that we ask uh, the healthcare system, perhaps not the clinician, perhaps the paraclinical staff to capture. But it sounds like there are sources of this information that we can capitalize on that would actually contribute to the overall understanding. One of the things that I hear repeatedly is my supermarket probably knows more about my HB1AC than my physician does based on my food buying habits. So yeah, there are multiple uh, examples of, of organizations that successfully created uh, questionnaires or surveys that get at this. And sometimes it could be as asking, um, do, are the, do you have any food insecurity or have you gone uh, without a meal for a certain period of time? Or do you have trouble uh, locating your next meal? So if you're asking questions that are well-worded uh, like that, I think, you can get at the answers, but in terms of the capture of that data, a lot of the times when you're going to your provider organization, they do ask you a set of questions. Uh, when we had uh, COVID, the pandemic start, uh, a lot of the questionnaires were added um, and many of them rightfully so, but that shows you that it's possible to add a list of questions based on a timely item. And that uh, once you answer those questions, those can be coded into the electronic medical record. So we already have um, ICD-10Z codes that you can use to code social determinants of health. Um, and even with ICD-11, those have been revamped and expanded with new codes. And so uh, it, it doesn't all have to fall onto the uh, plate of the provider team. It doesn't mean more documentation or more time spent in the medical record. It just means that we have to work with the patient to capture the right data. Um, it could be asynchronously, it could be prior to the visit, it could be when they arrive, but right at the beginning of the visit. Either way, it can be captured and can be acted upon. And then the next step, of course, is even if you have the data, do you have the resources and the processes to act upon the data? 
you know, it's interesting that you say we've, we've got the codes, but I, I guess it sounds like we haven't been using them. That's a, a terrible statement on, on the, uh, the, the potential value that's been missed that was exposed once again by the pandemic. So we've seen that sort of additional um, uh, positive impact of this pandemic that allowed us to see a pathway, as you described, Salem, that, you know, we can do it. We just weren't doing it. But what I keep on hearing from my colleagues in the healthcare system is great. So I capture this information, but am I getting a return on this? Is there really a, um, an ROI to actually investing in capturing the information and coding it and putting it in the system? So I, the way I see it is, is that we have, there's a couple different returns on investment. There's the internal organization impact on the organization and the patients themselves. And then there is the social or community benefit of this. Um, and I'll speak to the, to the first one. And that is there has been a return on investment with multiple different types of, of, of interventions. Um, whether we're talking about transportation interventions, meal-based interventions or housing interventions, different ones have had stronger impacts but it does depend on the population that you're impacting. So uh, the short answer is there has been proven return on investments. There's multiple ways to calculate that. Uh, but when taking that into account, you wanna look at the community benefit. Are you impacting your patients only? Or are you impacting the larger community that you're sitting a part of? Yeah, and I don't want to sort of sound mean about all of this. I mean, I, I recognize that there's patient value, but obviously from an economic standpoint, showing that investment return to the folks that make that in, uh, investment on the part of the patient, be it the insurer uh, or the health system, there the has to be examples of this that we can draw from that will allow these systems to say, this makes sense. I've got proof points. Can you share a little bit of those examples? Sure, there have been um, many examples and, and more and more of them are showing up in the literature of uh, those who have a positive ROI. And the areas that most show positive ROI are transportation, housing, and food insecurity. Um, part of the, part of the um, process of showing an ROI is obviously knowing that you don't have to do it all yourself. So a lot of the organizations that have shown a positive ROI are in partnership with others, whether those others um, provide um, community benefits or direct dollars or um, you know, other kinds of um, resources to the organizations. Uh, th those are all important inputs to the ROI, um, but you will see in the literature that most of those organizations have worked with others to, to get that ROI. I think another point that, that Salem was referring to was something that is now being talked about as a social ROI. So measuring, and this is much, much harder to measure than typical ROI, and that is how do you impact your surrounding community, whether that's crime reduction or um, a better educated population, um, or people who, who know more about um, cooking nutritious meals. I mean, there are a lot, and how does that impact your health? That's much, much harder to calculate, but you're starting to see some cases of that. Um, a, a article that came out recently from um, the Bon Secours Housing for Health um, 
that is a, uh, I was with Bon Secours at the time that they initiated that program uh, that was quite a while ago now, but only very recently, uh, this year as a matter of fact, did they come out with an article showing the social ROI of what they were trying to achieve in terms of helping adults have um, uh, stable housing, uh, better preventive healthcare services, less crime, better nutrition, and show that essentially um, they could save $1.30 to $1.92 for every operating dollar that was spent. Um, so, and again, those kinds of studies, they're harder to find, but those that just show the regular um, ROI that we're all used to, you'd be surprised how much of that you find in the literature now. I, I think it's interesting you you talk about the the partnerships and you, you know one of the things that occurs to me we're seeing a large number of other organizations who are maybe not traditional healthcare providers who are jumping into this space who sit in you know supermarket or the provision of food generalized services are actually engaged uh, in the community do you think that gives them a leg up um, you know, they're clearly wanting to get into the healthcare business. Mm -hmm. is, is that a partnership arrangement or do you think they're going to land and expand and, you know, really present? Given that 80-20 that you talked about, to me, it almost feels like they may be better suited to delivering, um, you know, a positive healthcare experience. Yeah, I think um, some of the studies today have shown as well that how much we um, in this country care about working for companies that invest in corporate social responsibilities. So one study showed that 76% of millennials would take a pay cut to work for a company that invests in such a way. 83% um, of professional investors consider uh, this type of corporate social responsibility in their decision to invest in companies. So it's, it's something that is, uh, important to our society right now. And um, so I'm not surprised to see that. Whether it means that they really want to go into healthcare themselves, I think is uh, another story. But I think many of them just want to show that they are providing good, um, conscientious social responsibility. So Salem, as you think about this, it sounds like there's tremendous opportunity. I think it's been missed opportunity over the course of time. We've seen, you know, positive impact data that demonstrates this. How do you go about affecting that into a healthcare system? There's clearly drivers. You've got employees saying, I want this. I want this from uh, my employer, be it a healthcare employer or somebody else. So there's clearly positive drivers. But how do you affect that? What is the process to get people to delivering a community-based positive healthcare experience? Yeah, I think you look at it in a couple of pieces. One is you have to make sure to strategize um, and strategize with your team and your organization. And two is to make sure to actually do an implementation, at least try a pilot. So for the first one um, in strategizing, I, I would see it as uh, aligning with your strategic goals, your pillars, your, your, your 
your multi-year plan. That way you have the backing from the team members, whether it's the leadership team or the providers or the frontline staff, and even the patients, when you have the patient voice around the table to make sure that you are aligning with what the needs of the organization and the community are. Um, and then the question might be, where do I get started? Which part of the organization do I wanna affect and impact first? A lot of the times it could be as simple as the biggest pain points that are in your organization. Uh, most recently, organizations are seeing uh, readmissions sometimes go up. And if you have an uptick in readmissions, is there a group or a community base that is having this? And how can you impact that using SGOH? Are the factors that are bringing them back to the hospital the same ones that you could have impacted more upstream in the preventative care fashion? So you could start with that group if possible. If not, if you want to do a wider net, you can always do that. And as you're going along with a pilot, while you're implementing it, you can test the course and see if it's working and you can change courses as you go. Maybe start with six months or 12 months and see how it impacts the, the patients that you're affecting. Uh, do an ROI based on that and then expand it more globally across your organization. That way you're ready to tackle these on a more holistic fashion and you'll learn as you go. I think that's the two-step approach to, to starting that change. And I think just to add to what Salem was saying, I think the, the whole implementation, I mean, you know, we talked about that you have to identify, I mean, I think you did a great job, Salem, of articulating how important it is to identify the focus area and do the ROI. But once you decide on what you're going to do, then you need to implement it properly. And it's like any other good project you would implement or good initiative you would implement. It's the people, it's the process, it's the technology. You need to make sure that all of those are in place. And that requires a very comprehensive strategic and tactical plan to, to carry this out. So um, it's, it's uh, again, like most other projects, the people, the process, the technology, um, many, much of the technology um, hospital organizations, healthcare organizations probably already have, some they don't have, some they'll have to acquire, um, but they will have to think about this differently in terms of the processes they employ, the people they employ, training them effectively, um, making sure the whole staff understands what they're trying to accomplish so it can be done in a way that the organization can then feel, feel proud about that they have implemented and, and shown that they are good corporate citizens. So it, it sounds like we've got the processes, we understand we've got demonstrated uh, examples of this, we've had it exposed as a result of the pandemic, and the the missing piece in this feels like it's the holistic approach taking the broader view that was missed in the past I, approaching that do you see that as the next jump off point and perhaps an inflection where we start to really fix this problem Uh, I see it as, as part of the preventative care offerings that are already in place at a lot of organizations that can be expanded. Um, I see it as an additional um, um, lens that can be expanded to existing processes. It does not need to be an overhaul. And if it was missed, um, that is just the product of the times. And I think as we evolve our, our healthcare system, uh, we can add this lens to existing processes and many of the times, as Ronnie was, was mentioning, it does not require new resources if those could be folded into existing processes. Um, sometimes you may add uh, uh, new resources or partner with organizations, but uh, the way I see it is it's add to what you have and make sure that you get the comprehensive picture of, of the patient's life that leads to their outcomes. 
I, I think a, a great way to finish. So this is not an overhaul. It's an additional incremental step that adds to existing infrastructure. It's been fully exposed. It's demonstrable. There are real solutions out there and we've got the capability to do it and we have to do it. And everybody is saying we want that. I'm excited about it. I want to thank you both for joining me on the show today. Salem, Ronnie, thanks for being on the show. Thank, thank you. you for having us. The return on investment in these programs is clear and demonstrable. We have seen proof in the value of delivering housing, increasing access to food, and creating a caring community. We see not only the social benefits of reduced crime, improved education, and happier population, but the healthcare impact that reduces the individual and community disease burden, reducing the costs of taking care of these populations. We all have a part to play in bringing about the change we want to see in the world. Employees have made their choices clear, seeking organisations that don't just talk about social responsibility, but practice and deliver it to the communities they serve. Your better pill to swallow is to gather your teams and develop a plan together on how to address the inequity that has been laid bare by the pandemic. It is no longer good enough to say you care. Your staff, your organisation, but above all your community is looking to you for leadership and example. Find a pilot project that aligns with the organisational strategic goals. Bring in your community and ask them. Seek ways to impact your patients in a holistic fashion. Medicine is about caring, not delivering care, and that caring comes in many forms. This is not a big overhaul, but additional incremental elements added to the existing processes. Medicine is about caring, not just delivering care, and that caring comes in many forms. This is not a big overhaul, but additional incremental elements added to the existing processes that bring about real and lasting positive impact on the health outcomes to the community you serve and as a natural byproduct on the bottom line as well. You can learn more about how to effectively add SDOH to your services in the free white paper available at our website, ecgmc.com. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown, and join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone. Thank you.